welcome. It's good to see um, Christmassy faces. I'm not just referring to the tinsel, obviously, but Christmas faces. Um, a lot of joy in this room, and give thanks for that. And it's always great to just hear the, the, the carols and everything. It's, um, yeah, a truly enriching time of the year, um, even though obviously it doesn't it comes with the challenges, as Pastor Reece said. Um, but we are in the midst of a series, um, you know, that I, you know, it's one of those things where when we're putting together and thinking about what we will do this year, um, I can truly see how God works so miraculously um, as we were thinking about how we can make this, not just um, kind of generic Christmas teaching, you know, run, you know, going through the hoops, but generally trying to kind of connect um, the theology of of Christmas, the Advent, and and make it relevant, you know, so that we come out of this season um, enriched by what the gospel has to offer, um, enriched by what it, it it presents to us, and the opportunity of this season to um, to give the church some strength to their faith, some, some real touch points. And so we come to the last hour, says, I won't say what the title is now. So obviously we've been going through the four um, corners of the kingdom. So we've seen um, through, we've seen the kingdom remade, the kingdom renewed, the kingdom released, and we'll see what happens today as we think about how does that vision of the kingdom progress as we go through scripture. But uh, we're going to start by looking at John 1. John 1. So if you turn me to the Gospel of John, and, um, and we're going to look at the first 18 verses. So I'm reading from the ESV, but please follow with whatever version you have. And it says this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world has met, was made through him yet the world did not know him. He came into his own and his own, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son, from the Father full of grace 
and truth. John, John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. From, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, as we have entered into this, um, this last leg of our Christmas season here, Lord God, we've seen the build-up, Father, um, at least from a consumer perspective, Lord, from, from, from November, Lord, even maybe even earlier in so many other places. But yet, Lord, again, here we are, Lord, getting um, to the hub of it, Lord. And um, again, maybe with mixed feelings, but yet, Lord, we pray that your word will ultimately have the final word in how we, are, how we relate to this season. For whatever memories it may bring, whatever, um, you know, whether it's a place where we get too happy or, Lord, feel incredibly sad, Lord, we pray that ultimately, as we think about your advent, that your word will come and dictate to us how we should relate to your coming into the world. That no grief... No joy, Lord God, in anything other than you, dear Lord Father, will indeed anchor us and give us security in this time. So Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time in which we can come together as a church, Lord, and worship you in this Advent season. Lord, help us as we grapple, Lord God, with what is really truly revealed in this time, in you coming into the world. Lord, bless us. And Lord, Father, enable us to truly grasp the spirit of the season and its meaning for us as believers today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, I think it was a few years ago, um, I was introduced to the, um, I think someone up here, I can't even remember who it was, but introduced us to Channel 4's, um, you know, Channel 4, the hipper, more in touch broadcaster, has been running its own version of the Christmas message, you know, the alternative Christmas message as they call it, and again, it's that whole idea of, you know, um, you know not speaking as the establishment does, you know, parsing over all the real issues of the day. Um, but truly speaking to um, the genuine causes, and if you ever go through some of them like I did yesterday, you suddenly realize it. there really is a, a quite a strange agenda going on um, for all it's good, for all the good it's trying to quote-unquote do. Um, and it's quite interesting that when we come into the Gospel of John, we find a very similar thing. We have an alternative Christmas message, don't we? There's no Mary and Joseph... There's no wise men. There's no Gabriel coming down and, and giving people messages of, of hope and, you know, and lonely journeys across um, Judea. Mary on a donkey. All that is not there. Just isn't there. It really is an alternative 
Christmas message. And John is doing so not for subversive reasons, but he's offering an alternative view because the times he lives in. So let me give you some of the background. I don't want to, obviously, this is a text we can go quite deep into, but I want to keep this so we can get to our point. In such a way we can get straight to our point. So John's gospel is, is believed to have been much later than any of the other gospels. And so it seems that his gospel is addressing the issues of his own time. So obviously he was the last, we believe, to have died of all the, the initial apostles. And so he was facing different challenges, different than what obviously Matthew, Mark, and even Luke were experiencing. So that fundamental shift in people's belief about Jesus had changed. And this is what happens over time, isn't it? You know, you can, you know when you're close to an event, you feel quite nice. It's like buying something new, isn't it? You know, you've got that point where, again, I heard this illustration about the new car. You know, the new car where, you know, everything is obviously, you, you want everything spick and span. But then how you relate to that car, you know, 10 years down the road is very different. And so it is, you know, that people are starting to treat Jesus different. And mainly because as new generations come and their own interpretation, they're not eyewitnesses anymore, now coming and trying to, in a sense, rationalize Jesus into their own worldview. But John avoids this. And in many ways, what he's doing is trying to lift the lid on the hidden aspect, those things that are concealed in that, I would say in some ways, the tame vision of the nativity. You know, we, we can all look at the holy family and kind of ooh and ah, like we would if we saw, again, pictures of a new baby born to any of our families and go, wow, isn't that fantastic? And to some extent, just make it about how families are coming together. And this is just a holy family, but it's just a family ultimately. But John wants us to see more than that. He lifts the lid because it, in his time, in a sense, the divinity of Jesus was being lost. People would not have argued against his physical birth. Oh, I believe that Jesus lived. Again, you know, if you're living 60, even maybe 70 years after that, you probably have met People who say, oh, yeah, he definitely lived. Like for us today, none of us lived through the World War II. But I remember, again, I met loads of people who did. And they can tell us about it and testify to it. But how I interpret maybe World War II is going to be very different to how they did it as eyewitnesses. And so as we see we move further away, we start to struggle sometimes with the details because we weren't there. But John wants to leave an account of the nativity, an alternative view of the nativity, where we are certain of his divinity. And we don't have to speculate about that anymore. So I want to jog through the text as we come to our point about how does this fit into the vision of kingdoms and the four kingdom aspects. Well, we start that first section, which is, again, the logos, the, the, the reason that word is the Greek word for the reason or the purpose of something, the core of something. And it has that ring of Genesis, isn't it? Those first five verses. 
You almost think like I'm back at Genesis 1 and, and John does that for a reason. Jesus is the beginning. He is the alpha in that regard. He's the beginning of all things. And he also is the omega in that aspect where he brings everything to a close. And obviously that's something that John will bring up into more clarity when he goes into the revelation. So we are also in overlapping periods as well, in which we are in the end times of the old creation, which is still continuing, but also in the new creation as well, which is currently only real in the person of the believer. So we're also in that. John wants to remind us that we're in that overlapping times. Two periods. This is one of the things, that, again, so often we teach Revelation from the point that the Revelation is about, and the end times is the last seven years. That's never been taught by the apostles. Jesus' birth is the beginning of the end. It is the end times. Whenever you see the apostles talk, he is the end of the age. We often thought it was, oh, that's because they believe that Jesus will return in their own time. And so we misinterpret that. Oh, they were, the assumption was that, it was, that obviously they were, misled, that they were misled. No, they generally saw that the coming of Christ was the end of this age. And so what we see is that overlapping times, and that's what John is helping us to understand. So this is what we often refer to in the Christian um, doctrine of the now and the not yet. In that sense, the kingdom of God through Christ has already come. But at the same time, its ultimate reality is still, as it were, coming into fruition. Then John, in a sense, goes into the person of Christ as well, to lift the lid on that identity. And what does he say? He Well, in the beginning. So this is, again, a, a picture of the eternal, not temporal. In other words, what we see about a, a, a child born in a manger is a temporal existence, one that is kind of linked into time. John says, no, he has a temporal existence, but he's also eternal. He was before time. He then goes on and says it clearly. Again, you know, our Jehovah Witness friends get this wrong because he says he was God or was a God. And so they're going, well, you know, again, this is not a, a claim to divinity, but it's clearly, a def a, a, again, without going into um, the nuance of Greek, but it means he was divine. God cannot be divided to say that he is a God just like any other God, as though angels are referred to as God within the Jewish mindset. He is clearly divine. He was God. But look what he goes on to say. He doesn't want us to kind of get into that weird place of, well, you know, then he's just, again, in that kind of oneness interpretation of God, of just an aspect of God that showed up on earth. He now says he was also with God. And he restates that in the next verse, doesn't he? He says he was, he was with God in the sense that God is now distinct. He is a distinct person within the Godhead. So we're not to confuse that it's God pretending to be a baby. But actually, this is God revealed in the child, but he's also distinct. And so this is where we bring in the Trinity the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Again, we won't go into that. 
But that's what he's saying. He was with God. So he was God, but he was also with God because it's a clarifying statement. If, I, if you just run with the fact that he was God, you're not going to get it. He was also with God. So that makes him distinct. He also now talks about the light coming into the world. And so what are we to make of this? So many people believe that this is the light of, of humanity itself. That in a sense, our own light, our own intellect, our own reason is, is being referred to here. But I believe that what he's saying is that it's the light of, of Jesus himself. And that the light, in a sense, shines into certain people. So in that sense, the people of the light is not everyone, but everyone who has received Jesus is now part of that light and, then been, and bears witness to it. Whoever, you know, again, it's that picture of, the, the, you know, whoever has a light doesn't hide it under a bushel, but allows it to shine. A city on a hill, that aspect of the light of the world as the believers. And not to kind of refer to a general aspect of human intellect or human reason. Those who are in the dark are part of the chaotic order. So it's making that contrast. Those who do not believe are in darkness. They're in a part of the chaotic, disordered world. So it's a kind of a picture where he's now building that now on the not yet. So it's a reflection of the old creation with some aspects of the old creation where some are, are believing and that becomes the new creation in the, in, in the life of the believer in, in the context of the church. But also, we're living in disorder where other people don't believe. And so therefore it brings darkness into the world as well. But again, remember, he says, but they were not overcome by that. We live in a world where people believe that darkness has the final the say, but it doesn't. It will never have the final say. Then we jump into that next section, six to eight. So John is not the light. Again, I think this is, uh, there's an interesting aspect of something that's going on here. John obviously is dealing with some confusion related to the identity of the Messiah. So remember, again, John's gospel is coming much later. So people are making different distinctions. We remember that their cultural um, way in which they interpret things, this whole idea that, well, you know, if John baptized Jesus, and these are what some of the things I believe that are going on in their mind. Well, if John was actually first and was actually even born first and Jesus comes to get baptized by him, then John's really the superior prophet, isn't he? John is the one who ultimately... Is, is the leader. Jesus can't be the leader. And so, in a sense, John is also seemingly bringing and, 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 and annihilating that confusion. He bore witness to that light, but was not that light. We see this in the time of Paul's missionary journey, don't we? When we encounter his disciples who had not heard of Jesus, but only John. So remember, there are many people walking around the world who had, who had obviously maybe been in the time, in the earlier parts when John's ministry was being done, but had never heard of Jesus. Again, I won't read, but again, John 19, Acts 19, um, 3 to 7, talks about that encounter where people had heard of John, but not of Jesus, and they had to realize that they needed to be baptized so that they can receive the ministry of Jesus. 
And even John himself got confused about Jesus' identity, doesn't he? Again, we see that in Matthew 11, 2 to 6, where he's, he's now asking Jesus when he's in prison, are you the one or do we seek another? So we're starting to see that issue about, um, and it kind of crops up later in the text as well, doesn't it, where John coming later, John coming for Jesus, seems to have had that confusion of like, well, the first ultimately is, is supposed to be the one that holds the power. But it's not. We have to remember there are certain assumptions being made about what a Messiah would be. And again, John makes that, doesn't he? Thinking it will be a, a David-like Messiah. Again, many are thinking it will be another strong man who will abide, uh, will be able to lead the nation in military victory. But obviously, again, Jesus was not going to do that. Not in his first coming. So John is not the light. Again, speaking to that, that old audience, and maybe speaking to some of us now as well, who might think, well, maybe it's all about John. Then we come to 9 to 13, isn't it? Jesus now is the light of the world. We cannot will ourselves into the kingdom. Just as human birth, that comparison to human birth, does not come by the will of the child. It is by divine providence. This is about how Christians are made. How Christians come into the world. And those who like to do their, you know, as I say, their anthropology before their theology. That is, I need to understand who I am as a, as a human being and then interpret that into my theology. And then my theology works around my, who I think I am. And then I create the God that now fits that position. Actually, John doesn't leave any room for that. Our theology determines our anthropology. Because if God is the creator, when I find out who God is and how he has made me, then I can actually understand myself better rather than starting from with me. Again, this is a, a mistake that, I guess it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, but for us, probably the enlightenment, that we are the light and we start there. Hence, if you get that first section wrong and, this, and say that that light is me and my own intellect, you're going to start making, you're going to start struggling. So it's without, so with interest, when people come to this, you know, this whole idea of being born by the will of God, people struggle with this part of the text. Because it quite clearly says that actually, just as you're, you, you are not the product of your own decision, I've not willed myself into life, but I am a product of, the God, of, of God's birth. And obviously, these are things and these are themes that John will unpack later on in his gospel. As you read this, in a sense, it's a summary of what he's going to unpack later. And we'll see this actually come up in John 3, isn't it? About being born from God when he confronts Nicodemus. So he, he teases the theme here and then tells you, how are people born? And it's born by the Spirit. The Spirit doesn't move how you want it to do, just the same way I can't determine where the wind is going to go. So this is something that John will unpack. Again, I don't want to label that, but it's important that we understand that. One of the things I find interesting as well, if you ever read the testimonies of prominent believers, 
you know, um, a C.S. Lewis comes to mind, um, and Malcolm Muggeridge as well. Those especially who come, who, may, who come in a sense from an intellectual background. Isn't it interesting that they come kicking and screaming? And it kind of reminds me of babies, isn't it, being born, entering into the world and crying. When you read these, they, 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 it wasn't like this, wow, it's fantastic, Jesus is real. It really battered their reason. It really humbled them. They come kicking and screaming. And that's something that we have to realize. It's, it's that reminder of we're like children. When we are born by God, we come because, in a sense, we love that place of comfort where we didn't have to bear the responsibility of our lives, being in that womb. But in order to really live, we need to come out and be born again. So kicking and screaming into the kingdom. Then we come to that final section, 14 to 18, isn't it? Jesus the tabernacle, or Jesus as the truth. The idea behind the way John has phrased this brings back echoes of the Exodus. And I, I kind of want to unpack that in a little while. And the setting up of the tabernacle. Jesus now becomes the personified presence of the Lord, leading a new exodus. A new exodus. That's important that we hold on to that. So where are we going with this? Well, look. We looked at the kingdom remade. We looked at that Jesus, how Jesus comes in and becomes, in a sense, that addresser of the imbalance. You know, levels up the north. The north that had no good kings. All of a sudden, Jesus comes and he remakes the kingdom by now being a king up in the north, in, Gal in, in Galilee, in Nazareth. And it was prophesied that the north will have an advantage in the new kingdom. That amongst them, the teacher, the Messiah will emerge. And Jesus does that and goes to the northern, the northern territories and remakes the kingdom there and levels them up. We then looked at the kingdom renewed, that theme of Bethlehem. The three scenes of the Bethlehem of, of the kingdom, one in Naomi. And we, we looked at this whole idea of, the, of, of, of Bethlehem being a symbol of renewal. First for a family, a woman who, who thought that she had no hope goes back to Bethlehem and is renewed. So a family is renewed and has life. A, messi a messianic family at that. Then we see in the time of, of Samuel the prophet that he goes back to Bethlehem by the command of God. And when the nation has no hope in, in, in Saul and, 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 and Saul ruling over them, the kingdom is renewed when he goes back to Bethlehem and he finds David. So now a nation is renewed through going back to Bethlehem. And then, eventually, when we come to Bethlehem in our Gospels, the world is renewed through Jesus' birth. You see how that vision is growing? Family, nation, world, 
all starts at Bethlehem. Symbol of renewal. Then we came with Pastor Yes last week. The kingdom released that, that vision of Egypt, of Jesus becoming, coming from Egypt and depicting that new Israelite exodus. Coming to release us. So the kingdom is released. And then our theme today, the kingdom come. The kingdom come. I want you to look back at two verses from our text today, and that's the um, verse 16, I think. John sees about the revelation of Jesus. And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Sorry, the next one. 17. Oh, is it gone? Next one. Oh, no. Okay. 14, sorry. Yeah, go back to 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory as of the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. I also want us to highlight verses 18 as well, or 17b and 18. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. When you look at these three verses together, you see a vision of the Exodus that I believe John is invoking to his readers. The word dwelt, so we read it as dwelt, but it actually means tabernacle. Jesus tabernacled with us. I believe this is important. He makes a tent with us. And this is why I say it brings up that image of the Israelites gathered in the wilderness around the tabernacle with the blazing glory of Yahweh. So if we look back to Exodus, we suddenly see that, if we if picture that, makeshift tents and makeshift camps all around this tabernacle with a pillar of, of cloud in the day and a pillar of fire at night. I believe that John is, is invoking that image. Because again, it's that vision of light, especially as we think about that fire over that temple, that, uh, that temple in the times of the wilderness travels. And we're all gathered around it. The blazing glory of Yahweh. John sees Jesus at the center of a new exodus. Glorious new exodus, leading people from, from a dark world into a kingdom of light. This is also, so this is not just true of John. This is also true of Paul when he looks at the Exodus. This I will read. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 to 5. And he says this, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. 
for they were overthrown in the wilderness. So Paul puts Christ in the Exodus as a symbol of that which fed them in the wilderness, gave them, gave them water. Again, we'll see this in John 6 as well, isn't it? Jesus being the bread and then comparing himself to the manna. And he says, but that manna, um, you know, one in that manna. And he talks about Jesus being an eternal source of manna. The manna was cut off after a while, but Jesus never gets cut off. So these are themes that he will develop later on, making that connection to the Exodus. These next sets of verses now makes that comparison of Jesus and the new Exodus with Moses as well. So, well then... Moses came before Jesus, then don't we have to follow Moses? And now he points to the law. He says, well, well, then Moses gave us the law. But he's saying that what supersedes that is grace now through Jesus. Yeah, it was law, but now grace has come. And it's come into the world. So Jesus, in, in that sense, that comparison to Moses is now saying that this is the greater Moses. So we also have an allusion here to God that could not be revealed to Moses. And the people have now been, it's now been revealed to them through the person of Jesus that, in a sense, that God that they could not see. Again, this is something that John will develop in John 14 when he said, well, well, no one has seen the Father, but they've seen me. If they've seen the Son, they've seen the Father. So again, he will develop this theme about the God, the invisible God that no one could see, but has now been revealed. In that sense, it's all showing that from the Exodus until now, we are in a greater Exodus a superior exodus, a superior deliverance. So as we think about the picture of the exodus with all these people gathered around the tabernacle in, that, in their tents, with their families, we see a similar picture of this in the events of Christmas. As families gather together, as the world stops for a holiday, that was traditionally held for the advent of Christ. Jesus has brought many families together. This is interesting, whether they believe in him or not. Whether they believe in him or not. What we know about the Exodus is that many people came out of Egypt, but Egypt never came out of, out of them. But they're all gathered in the wilderness, beholding the glory of God. And some people were never changed by that. Just like today, many people are here, they, they, they've got the time off, and they sit in there, and they're gathered in the glory of Jesus. And some people are completely unaware that it's the glory of Jesus that gets them sitting in their homes with their families. Do you see how that picture of the Exodus has now grown from a few, maybe, as again, as some people say, maybe a million, two million people has now grown to a worldwide population. It's superior in every single way. As people stop, like that, that rest from being in slavery, as people stop and gather together, 
If Jesus was not born, we would not be stopping tomorrow. It would not matter. Jesus has brought families together and like those tents gathered around the world, people are now gathered in the glory of Christ. And they witness that glory, whether they give it props or not. I think this you know, makes a profound picture that cannot be understated. As the glory of the revelation of Christ has surpassed the previous exodus, as I said, more people are gathered for Christ. So is it we have a superior scope of the advent of Christ and its ability to reach out universally. So also, as John is saying, this is how superior the revelation of the Godhead is now. It's even Now, when you take the scope of what we see in that revelation naturally, this is what Jesus is. It's a superior revelation of Christ. Not just merely a child in the manger, but God in the manger. Born with a mission. Born divine. But there is a danger if we do not respond. If you're here and you're ignorant of it and you just take advantage of the season, there's a danger. Because you're still in darkness. You you see the light and you bear witness to it, but you're not part of that light. That light that is Christ. I want us to take us back to 1 Corinthians 10 and 6 and 11, because Paul continues his revelation. Because remember, he leaves with a warning, but not all in the wilderness believed God. And he tells us, now these things took place as an example for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the age has come. You know, I'm becoming more convinced than ever. Um, and this is, again, a lot through what you even hear through secular um, academics say about the witness of Christ. That we are not in a perfect world, don't get me wrong. But we are nonetheless in a world that has been distinctly touched by Jesus. Especially where we are. Jesus has made a difference to our life in the UK. And in many parts of the world, if not all the parts of the world, whether it be a small change or a different change, Jesus entered into the world and has made a difference to how we live. In that sense, the kingdom has come and is already changing 
our very ethics ourselves, in which we, we, we lay claim to, testify to that. They're Christian ethics. And we trace it back to the teachings of Jesus. We read the Sermon on the Mount and we can see why our laws exhibit what they do. Not just merely the Ten Commandments, but even intrinsically what Jesus has taught us. Even in our personal ethics towards one another. What we consider to be kindness and fairness. That's Jesus in our lives. The kingdom in that sense has come. Even to people who do not appreciate him. They still echo his teachings. They still follow the things that he says. But they're not part of that light. There are many people that will eat and drink in the presence of Jesus because of what Jesus has given them, but not identify that Jesus has made this possible. For me, Christmas is a reminder to the world of that dwelling in the, in, the, in the wilderness of people gathered merely because Jesus has delivered them. But there still remained, again, this is something that comes up in Hebrews 4, isn't it? That coming out of Egypt is not the be-all and the end-all. Stopping for Christmas and spending time with family or friends or even by yourself is not, the, is not enough. It's actually receiving that light. Receiving that truth. Or we will suffer. It's about receiving that kingdom into your heart and making that really yours. So there's a profound message in, 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 in Christmas. And even this time where we stop and maybe make the effort to go to church, that it's not enough just to stop and say, well, I want to take advantage of the holiday. It also gives you an opportunity to receive Jesus and the kingdom. The kingdom really has come. And as I said, though we're not really living in the full maturity of it, we are nonetheless living in a world that Jesus is already changing. And again, I, as I've alluded to earlier in the series, again, going back to Daniel 2, it's like a stone that grows, isn't it? The stone that smites the empires grows. And we're seeing the light of Christ changing this world. But one day it will drastically change. So receive Christ. Why? Because sometimes we may be waiting for a time when it will be too late. Let's end on Luke 17, 20 to 21. We just done this the other day, isn't it, in church? But it's good to remind ourselves of what Jesus said himself about the kingdom being here. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is. Or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. We are in the midst of the kingdom, my brothers and sisters, today. 
Let's embrace it. Because if you see the one that you can observe, it's too late. Let's pray. Lord, there is no one like you. And John has, has, has gone um, out of his way to write a gospel, to write a nativity scene, dear Lord God, that doesn't, you know, it's not an affront to our traditional view of the nativity, Lord God. Actually, it's an enhancement. It's a behind-the-scenes view, if anything, the making of the nativity. And, and Lord, if we can appreciate it as that, Lord God, actually, it reveals more truth than if we allow ourselves to just think about the Holy Family being in a manger, being in Bethlehem at a certain point in time. But actually, that baby being born in the manger points to a timeless God. Distinct in person, but yet all divine, being born into this world. But he's not limited by that temporal birth. His authority doesn't come merely because he was born into a Judean family that had claims to royalty, but actually was part of the actual real Godhead, the true royalty of the creation, and has created all things. And Lord, for those who have not received that revelation of who Christ is, I pray that they will do so. They'll not just receive the benefits of the season without really acknowledging why we stop on the 25th of December, year after year. Lord, let them receive that revelation of who you are. Let us be reminded, O oh God, that we have received the kingdom that is indeed coming, but has already come. And Lord, we are to be light in the world because of who you are. So Lord, let us bear witness to this. And as we continue to to, to do this, Lord, through the services today and tomorrow, Lord God. You know, we pray that people will come to that place where they can receive you. Make a decision. Lord, thank you for that. That you are bringing birth to people to believe. And we continue to pray so. In Jesus' name. Amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.